0: Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Beat, a weekend that promised much, delivered very little, but was then rescued by Harry Kane. Football, bloody hell, eh? I'm Mark Bryan from PA Media and to look back on the 1-0 loss at Goodison Park, I'm joined by two of the reporters who made the trip to Liverpool, Sam Dean of The Telegraph and Football London's Kai Kainak. We also have access all Arsenal where we answer your questions and we'll hear a little bit from Mikel Arteta's post-match press conference too. Then at the end of the show, we will flip things around and Sam will take control as I go from the hunter to the hunted in our latest round of Guess the Gooner. (laughs) Fellas, given that we're we're flipping things around for Guess the Gooner, let's let's go against the grain and start with Access All Arsenal. I think you know why when you hear the questions, which certainly we would be discussing at some point in the show anyway, I believe. Um, Synergy with the listeners is what some podcast promotions would call this. Uh, Just to remind you guys, uh, we ask before every recording for listeners to tweet us their questions. So let's get going with one for you, Sam, from Dave Murphy, who wants to know, why was Mikel unable to change anything tactics-wise at Everton? The result looked as if it was coming after 30 minutes.
1: Well, by tactics-wise, do you think he means the shape? Because Arteta's not changed the shape all season and never does. Uh, he knows the shape he likes and he wants to stick with it. He did change personnel, obviously, and that was, I think, very interesting in its own right that Thomas Party came off after 59 minutes, um, as did Gabriel Martinelli. We know that they've signed Jorginho and Trossard in January to add that depth and that variety, and I think Arteta's already shown his willingness to mix things up when he can. Obviously, Trossard plays that Martinelli role very differently, sort of comes inside a bit more, And Jorginho, as we know, is a very different sort of player to Thomas Partey. So I do think he saw problems and tried to freshen it up. Um, Sadly for Arsenal, it didn't really work. I think it's fair to say the overall performance was probably their worst of the Premier League season so far. Maybe Leeds away was similarly ragged and there maybe conceded more chances against Leeds. But they actually ended up winning that game, of course. So this one felt... uh, Pretty bad, given the standards that Arsenal have set this season. And yes, I think he tried to change it, but frankly, it just wasn't it, it. wasn't flowing for Arsenal. They couldn't find their usual rhythm, particularly in midfield. And I wrote a piece in today's Telegraph about how the Everton midfield really shut down Arsenal. Um, Sean Dyche effectively picked three incredibly athletic and powerful players who also showed great courage and technical skill on the ball. Adric uh, Garner Gay completed all of his passes. Amadou Nana was exceptional up and down the pitch, breaking tackles and, and beating players with, with, with skill on the ball. And Decore, as we know from his Watford days and, and over the last few years in the Premier League season, is is the sort of player who covers every bed of grass, to, to use that cliche. And They shut Arsenal down. I think Arteta tried to change it to bring on Jorginho to add a bit more precision to the passing and a bit more speed to the moves, but it didn't quite work out. And I don't know about you, Kaya, but after about 70 minutes i felt pretty confident that arsenal were not going to find a way back into it
2: yeah i was i wasn't i thought the the result seemed pretty terminal from pretty much after everton scored it just didn't feel like arsenal were going to come back despite everything they've done this season and all the comebacks they've managed to mount i think one criticism you could maybe have of arteta was he didn't opt to change anything tactically in the sense that all the subs were like for like so trossard on for martinelli left winger for left winger Jorginho on for Parte obviously defensive midfielder, defensive midfielder. I think Tommy was one of the others, and then Vieira on for Erdegaard was a bit of an odd sub. I know you would have wouldn't have enjoyed that. Sam Singh Martin know off. <laughs> but I do wonder if. And listen, Plan A has been superb for Arsenal all season, so I totally get why Mikel Arteta was reticent to to go away from it. And the reason they're five points clear at the top of the Premier League is because Plan A has been so fantastic, and the inverted fullbacks have been working, but. Like you say, with the midfield and the way Everton packed it, it just wasn't working. And it seemed to me that the, the space was out wide and maybe here in Tierney might have been a decent shout just to try and get some crosses in. But listen, everyone is the best manager in the world in hindsight. It's always a lot easier to talk about these things after the fact. And Mikel Arteta has done pretty much everything right this season. So to, to be critical of his tactics now seems a bit, sort of a bit maybe smug and I have no intentions of being there.
0: It's also a bit, it's a bit reactionary, isn't it, to just one <clears throat> poor day? You know, the City game aside, completely different game in the Cup and everything. Yeah, it'd be reactionary to suddenly say Arteta doesn't know what he's doing, although we live in that world now, and I believe Arteta out was trending at some point on, uh, on Saturday. Just to, <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was a bit like an Edu app was trending the other day. It's just yeah. madness.
0: Uh, right, my next question is open to both of you, and hopefully we'll settle two age-old debates that were resurrected in the last half an hour. Uh, Just one word answers to this from both of you, please. Um, So it'll be two one word answers. Sam, all I need to know is what is the best Crumpet topping and who is the best original starter Pokemon?
1: Um, Currently, I would go with Marmite and the best original starter Pokemon is without doubt Charmander.
2: Kaya? I would echo Sam on the Marmite. I know absolutely nothing about Pokemon. I think Pikachu Uh. So, oh. Pikachu? I mean, oh,
0: it, it, if you've not said Jam and Charmander, then please turn off the podcast
2: now. I like um, the Pokemon movie, the the real-life one with Ryan Reynolds. That was good.
0: And brings us back on the football nicely. Um, Kaya, loyal listener <laughs> Mohamed, loyal Mohammed Memon asks, did Saturday's performance show the return of the old Arsenal, albeit for one game, or was it a case of a bad day at the office and nothing to worry about?
2: Yeah... I'm not 100% sure the specifics of what Mahab means by the old Arsenal, but I think what Sean Dice did was, I think, show a bit of a blueprint as to how Arsenal can be beaten in terms of if you pack the midfield, uh, you cut the grass really short on the pitch so that Arsenal can't pass, you catch them on a bad day, and uh, you basically don't allow them to play on the floor at all, then, yeah, Arsenal struggle. And it was a bit of a perfect storm in the sense, that, as Sam was mentioning, Everton's midfield was really up for it. The whole team was really up for it, and I don't know, if Sean Dyche had been in charge for a couple of months as opposed to a couple of days, would it have been the same? I'm not so sure. All those things did lead to a bit of a, yeah, like I say, a perfect storm, but the Arsenal midfield is just, it was swamped the whole game, this sort of drowning in this sea of blue shirts. They'd never got any time to pick their head up. Everton did a really good job of isolating the wingers. So Martinelli and Saka, I don't really remember them coming in from their wide positions that much. They just got stuck outside, outside and Everton did a really good job on Arsenal. And, Yes, it's a bit of a blueprint for how other teams can attack Arsenal, but I do think it was a very specific set of circumstances. I don't think there's many other teams that will play like Everton played to try and beat Arsenal. I just think stylistically, there's not that many. And if you look at the away trips that Arsenal are going to have to deal with for the rest of the season, I don't see too many teams that are going to try and come at Arsenal like that. And obviously at home, the whole pitch isn't really a thing and much wider and it's a, it's a lot easier for Arsenal to control the atmosphere. So... I wouldn't get too carried away about this defeat just yet. I do think it was, like I say, a very specific set of circumstances that that led to an Arsenal defeat. There are a few maybe just minor trends bubbling in terms of I've seen people talking about uh, maybe Gabriel, Gabriel Martinelli's performance has dropped off a little bit. I think that's a bit harsh personally. I thought Ben White was a little bit poor and I thought he was poor against Man U as well. So maybe that's something to keep an eye on. but. I don't think it's worth sort of uh, pressing the panic button just yet. I think, you know, it's, it's one defeat since September. That's a really good record. And if you'd given any Arsenal fan that at the start of the season, they 100% would have taken it. So I don't think it's quite a return to the old Arsenal, if, if that's what we haven't meant by the old Arsenal. But definitely a sign of of how you can get at them. And I think despite the fact that Arsenal have been winning almost every game this season, a proof that they're not a perfect team, as Mikel Arteta says to us after every single press conference, there's there's stuff that can be improved in this Arsenal side.
1: One thing I would say that felt a little bit uh, reminiscent of older, yeah, worse Arsenal teams was the last sort of 15-20 minutes um, how often Arsenal played in Everton's hands really and sort of got a little bit um, I don't know what the word is, maybe aggy a bit tetchy, we saw Zinchenko and, and Mopai clashing at, at the end and, and that really suited Everton and brought up another two minutes, uh, wasted another two minutes, I should say. And Arteta spoke afterwards about lacking a bit of emotional control and composure, and I think that was kind of obvious from, from where we were sitting in the press box. That I wouldn't say Arsenal's heads went; it wasn't that disastrous, but it looked like they started to get a bit sort of um, yeah unhappy with it and lose their cool a bit, and lose their composure, and started rushing things. I remember. Zinchenko hit a shot from like 30 yards out in the last sort of five or ten minutes which he just wouldn't normally have done and and uh, he did it twice Mark said, twice um, which just he, he wouldn't normally have done I don't think and, and there are a few decisions and like Trossard had a shot that was very rushed and perhaps wouldn't have been the sort of move that Arsenal have worked on in the training ground I think they got a bit stressed basically and I, I asked the question to Arteta afterwards if that's the sign really of, of the pressure of the title race getting in their heads a bit and they know how important every single point is when Man City are involved in the title race and he said no he doesn't doesn't think that at all um, I, perhaps it's more likely that it's just the youth of the team and the frustration of the day when they knew they weren't playing anywhere near the level they could reach um, and even Odegaard who's an extremely calm and composed character on the pitch he, he was in the second half getting incredibly frustrated with the passing and the lack of sort of cohesion in the team he sort of throwing his arms up and just getting irritated and I think that generally bled into the performance over the second
0: half. Yeah, you mentioned there the, the age of the side and the profile of the side. I think you spot on there in terms of like they've they've never been in this position before. But I I got a few pelts on Twitter for talking about Zinchenko, who has been in that position before, who we keep saying, you know, he's, he's a title winner, he's got that experience. But that thing with Mope, yes, Mope is clever and we we've seen in the past when he was at Brighton that he knows what he's doing, he's a bit of a wind up merchant. But you just get up and get on with that, don't you? Rather than getting embroiled in an argument that then spills into a you know, team that's all arguing amongst themselves almost and, and a, a mass brawl almost ensues. But you just get on with it, don't you? You have to get on with it. And I thought Arteta almost having to pull off the pitch at the end, I think he'll be slightly disappointed that that one of these players he's brought in with with that cool head on their shoulders, with the winning mentality of actually, let not let the team down, that's too harsh, but Certainly, you. it was a bit out of character for a player like Zinchenko, I think, to just get get, get caught up in something like that, wasn't it?
1: I, well, um, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like it was perfectly in character for Zinchenko, who's come, come to Arsenal from Man City and been, by all accounts, this incredibly fierce competitor behind the scenes. And he's been really drilling into the squad ever since he walked through the doors saying how important it is that draw, draws aren't good enough, for example. He's been the one saying, We can win the league this year. We can really push this. We should not accept anything but winning every single game. So if you're going to have a player like that with that kind of character, um, the positives of that have have we've seen over the previous sort of six months in that the impact he's had behind the scenes and the way he's helped to shift the mentality, which a lot of people talk about. It's not just, you know, it's not just what we assume. We know that to be true. That's how the players feel and and, and the managers feel anyway. um, When you have a character like that, I suppose someone who's that intense in that, Competitive, of course, they're going to care about a 1 0 defeat when the team's not playing very well. Of course, they're going to be intense and up for it and potentially stray a little bit too far over that line. So, I I would say, you know, over the season, um, the net impact of Zinchenko's attitude has been extremely positive. Um, It's only on very rare occasions where that might spill over to to becoming a brief negative. So, Overall, it feels very harsh to criticise him. But yes, I do agree with you, Mark, that he should have got on with the Mopai
0: thing and, and kept his cool in that particular moment. Yeah, completely. I do agree with that, of course. I'm not saying that, that it's something he does on a regular basis. And as you say, as you rightly say, there's obviously much more positives than negatives that come from that. It's just something that caught my eye. And mm. Arteta at the end, I think you could almost see he felt, not let down, like I say, but maybe a bit disappointed that one of those players that he's brought in to do that job maybe strayed a bit too far. But anyway, let's move on to our final question and it comes from Burnham Ahmed, who quite simply asks, How much does Sam Dean love Odegaard? Right, Sam, we'll start the clock going here. We've we've only got half an hour left of recording time, but fill your boots.
1: I was gonna say let Kaya take that question. Um y- yes, uh well I think he's I think he's really good. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is, that, is that all right? Um yeah, I think he's uh I think he's probably being the best player in the Premier League this season overall, despite Erling Haaland scoring 87 goals or whatever it is. Um, uh, If I was to vote for player of the season now, I would vote for Odegaard, I think. Best player in the best team. So, yeah. And I'm pleased that this year especially, Arsenal fans have fully... Actually, I think, you know, midway through last season too. uh, In the last sort of 12 months, Arsenal fans have really got on board with what he brings to the team, to the squad and it's
0: been nice. I'm obviously waiting for that day to come with Mo and Nene. Um, worth, a, <laughs> worth worth a plug here, by the way, for an ode to Martin, our podcast special from last year, where we talked about Odegaard's career to date. Even had some words in there from the Arsenal skipper himself. Um, also his form has been so good this season that he's landed a nomination for the London Football Awards Player of the Year. Most of the shortlist, in fact, for awards have at least one Arsenal player on them, and. To hear about the nominees and the work of the London Football Awards, I'm joined now by panel member and ESPN senior football writer, Arsenal original James Ollie. Uh, James, thank you for joining us. Uh, first and foremost, just give us a little bit of history on the uh, London Football Awards and and what it means to to the capital itself.
3: Yeah, well, they've uh, in one guise or another, they've been going for about eleven years. It started as um, a, a London Football Legends sort of dinner. Um, created by uh, a charity uh, founded by Bob Wilson, the former Arsenal goalkeeper, and his wife, Megs, uh, the Willow Foundation. And then that very quickly changed after a couple of years of a a Legends Dinner into the London Football Awards, which uh, was designed to be an annual uh, event, uh, championing and um, celebrating all and everything to do with London football. And it sort of expanded from... um, a handful of awards to what it is now, which is covering Premier League, the EFL, um, and the WSL as well. So, um, it's got a really good reach now. Um, and yeah, I've been I I'm I've been on the panel since sort of day one and do a bit of advisory work for them. But the the the, the main sort of championers of this, the Willow Foundation, the way they've grown it has been incredible because it's sort of gone from it's quite a small event to now um, really kicking off the award season with all the award winners going, you know, every year they're all in the room. Um, it's quite a remarkable thing, really. Um, and the sort of Hall of Fame of outstanding contribution winners runs from sort of Arsene Wenger and Les Ferdinand and Frank Lampard and Harry Redknapp, and people like that, to, you know, sort of modern day players. Declan Rice won Premier League Player of the Year last year and, um yeah, it's looking like. Although it's been a few lean years for Arsenal in the in at these awards, it's looking like it, they might have a very strong year this time.
0: Yeah, looking at looking at that shortlist of nominations, it very much proves that the WSL and the Premier League are going quite well for Arsenal. Um, just just recap for us which Arsenal players are, are up for awards.
3: <laughs> So the Premier League Player of the Year awards, um, Martin Odegaard and Bakayo Saka um are nominated in that, alongside Harry Kane, Ivan Tony, and Alexander Mitrovic. Um in the young player category, um, which is players age twenty-one or under, Bakayo Saka, um Gabriel Martinelli, uh William Saliba, uh, are all nominated there. In the goalkeeper category, Aaron Ramsdale, um Who's got a strong case? I think there against David Raya, Bert Leno, um, Kepper, and um, Viguero from like and Orient. Uh, wow. And then in the women's categories, we've got Beth Mead, who I think is, I, I mean, Beth Mead. Obviously, there's a bit of an issue with these awards in that the timing of them—they're quite early in the season. So, so we actually voted on this, um, or we came up with the nominations last week, which is obviously the beginning of February. And Beth, obviously someone who was a huge part of the Lionesses' success last summer, but she's out injured, going to be injured for a while, probably won't have played for about three months by the time these awards are out. But she's, you know, we felt she needed to be recognised for everything that she did with the Lionesses. Kim Little's in there as well. Um, and also from um, Laura Vine-Rother for the goal she scored against the Man United women. Um, that's in the goal of the season category. Um, which is a nice spread, actually. Young-Min Son, obviously Premier League, Michael Elise's free kick against Manchester United, miles Saar and, and Paul Smith, so Watford and Leighton Orient represented there as well.
0: And so this there's an awards night obviously coming. Uh, can people go to the awards night and, and what can they expect about uh, in and around that kind of evening?
3: They can, and I should just mention, of course, Mikel Arteta's been nominated for Manager of the Year. It's hard to keep up with them all, really. Um, but yes, it, so yeah, so these awards that um, they take place at the Camden Roundhouse um, on March the thirteenth. Uh, if you go to LondonFootballAwards.org, you can buy tickets there, ranging from anything from an individual ticket right up to a table, um, and you can even have you can even pay for a table um, where you have a, a legend on your on your on your table sat with you. That could be anybody from sort of you know obviously Bob himself to Clive Allen to. Um, I think Les Ferdinand is going to be coming this year. Sort of, um, you know, we, 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 there's a lot of people down the years that Bob knows, really, ranging from his generation up to the to the current day. So, um, and it, and it's a really nice informal event. So you you know, there's a lot of mingling between the dinners. You're not even if you just pay for an individual ticket, you you have sort of access to the full room. You're not kind of you know. Parked off in the corner somewhere, and everybody mingles in between the the awards and the, and the courses of the meal on the night. And it's it's a, you know, I think it's a lot more interactive in that regard than than um, a lot of other awards sort of ceremonies of a, of a similar stature.
0: And just finally, worth reiterating uh, that it's for the Willow Foundation, isn't it?
3: Yeah, so the Willow Foundation um set up by um Bob and Megs uh, Wilson was um well it is a charity that helps terminally ill um children, um well, in fact young adults between uh, sixteen and forty. Um and it designed to give them special days, creating special memories for for um, for people with, as I say, terminal illness. Um and these awards, in this current form, as I say, have been running, I think, nine years now, and they've raised uh, about a million pounds, which is just a remarkable, remarkable achievement. So get yourself down there if you can and and um, you know, help raise some money and uh, mingle with the stars. And uh, probably, although I don't know how the voting's gone, I think you're going to see quite a few Arsenal winners on the night.
0: Now to Arteta himself, who may have been downbeat at Goodison Park, but was not about to throw his players under that bus parked by Everton in the closing stages. I want the team to know how much I love them and I might love them much more now than three hours ago, a week ago, a month ago, three months ago. So it's very easy to be next to the player when they are winning and performing. This is the moment that I love my players more, the staff more and now we stay together and this journey is going to be difficult, challenging and it's going to be big stones in the middle. We're going to have to overcome that and now we have to prepare the week really well to get to Saturday with the right emotional level and with the right spirit to to beat Brentford. Guys, just, just more on, on Everton if we could. Um, Sam, was this a bit of a Sean Dyche masterclass against Arsenal? He's got quite a good record, hasn't he, against Arsenal? So he seems to be able to manage teams and set them up in just a way that do they, I suppose, expose some of the flaws that of Arsenal's teams?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's complete yin and yang, isn't it? The, the stylistic contrast. and I actually think one of the reasons that Arsenal have progressed so much under Arteta is because in the Premier League now, there's not a huge amount of variety in terms of styles. I think a lot of teams try to play out from the back and try to play through midfield and, and control possession as much as they can. Um, and Arsenal are simply better at doing that than most teams, and they're very good at pressing as well. So trying to do that against Arsenal really plays into their hands. Um, you Think about something like Southampton, for example, like under Hasenhuttle, they'd always try to press. I remember that 3-0 win last season when they tried to press and just got smashed and taken apart. Because you don't press well enough, you're going to get destroyed. Whereas Dijic has now come back to the Premier League, and he unapologetically, and I quite like it because the contrast and the variety is good, uh, plays long ball football. And then it was funny watching the first half on Saturday when the first two times the ball went to Seamus Coleman in space at right back. He just stood there and just pumped it towards the back post and just basically said, go and see what happens. And that's fine. You're allowed to do that. And Arsenal have to find a way of coping with it. And I think generally, from a defensive point of view, they did cope with it pretty well. I think um, Gabriel had quite a good game against Dominic Lewin there were a few chances Everton, of course. I think Everton deserve their win, but it's not like Arsenal were really under the cosh for huge spells. They had a couple of minutes here and there where they were struggling with set-pieces. But frankly, I mean, Daesh has been there for a few days, as you said, Mark, and he's come in and first thing he's done is thought out the shape and the structure. And the second thing he's does is saying, every time we get a set-piece or a chance to put the ball in the box, do it. And that is that is very much how Daesh has has, has treated the Premier League in, in the last sort of 10 years, really, and, I'm sure Arsenal knew that was coming, but sometimes dealing with it is, uh, is a lot harder than it sounds. And Charlie Watts, friend of the podcast, obviously made the point before the game, at, at Goodison, just saying, like, if Arsenal get an early goal here, I think they could run away with the cup comfortably. And I think that was very true because if Arsenal had scored, then that Everton shape would have had to expand and break up a bit and those gaps would have appeared. But the longer it went on without a goal and the more that Everton saw... The set pieces causing problems, the more it felt like Arsenal was sort of losing momentum a bit and Everton were gaining in gaining stature.
0: We're not a Tottenham or Man City podcast, so we won't talk about the, the result yesterday. But, Kai, it's worth noting, and you mentioned it earlier, that it's not essentially a blueprint of a way to beat Arsenal. But one thing we're not going to see is Brentford and Man City, the next two opponents, are not going to suddenly ad- adapt their way of playing to go for dice ball, really, are they, against
2: Arsenal? No, and that's that's why I think it's 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 risky to draw too many long-term conclusions from Saturday's match. It was obviously bad results wise for Arsenal. I think the performance was was under par as well, but I would say that, as Everton got their goal, it did just feel just before that that the momentum was slightly starting to swing towards Arsenal. I did think Everton started obviously with that massive high energy and Arna flying into every single tackle. Gaye being fantastic, as, as Sam mentioned, and Decore obviously running miles. But um, I do think the momentum was just starting to swing Arsenal's way in terms of they created a few chances. And it would have been interesting if the game had stayed nil nil. Would it have, you know, ended up with an Everton victory? I don't remember after Everton got their goal, them coming forward too often. And that's not a criticism. That's just the way I, I saw the game. And I think the set pieces have generally been a strength of Arsenal this season. And Nicolas Revere has obviously done a fantastic job. But... Um, <laughs> Getting, you know, I know we've had a lot of Odegaard love, but getting him marking uh, James Tarkovsky was probably not the, the smartest decision. And going from that point onwards, it was always going to be difficult for Arsenal. And once they fell a goal behind, Everton were able to just retreat into themselves. And James Tarkovsky and Connor Cody are defenders who love defending the six-yard box. And that's basically what they had to do for the remaining half an hour. And they they did it very well. So I don't think, like you say, Brentford are a team who like to play, even though last season when they came to the Emirates, they tried to defend and frustrate Arsenal with a back five, and generally they tend to switch to a back five against the bigger teams, but City won't play that way, and many other teams Arsenal play won't play that way, so I don't think it's it's quite an endemic problem for Arsenal just yet.
1: Yeah, just on Brentford quickly, I think actually of all the teams who are the most sort of adaptable, uh, I think Brentford are the most likely to actually just play long ball against Arsenal and just put Ty Tony up front and just ping it to his head and have runners off him. I think Brentford are not... Um, they're not too proud to do that, unlike some other teams. And I think that's given them quite a lot of joy against big teams uh, this season and last season, not least obviously Arsenal on the first day of last season. So they prefer to play out and they want to play out, but they're not so naive that if it's not working, they're not just going to smash it log. And I expect their approach to Saturday's game will be quite similar in a way to what the way Everton did
3: it.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. My, my thing, my retort to that would be with it being at the Emirates, I think Mm. that's a concern. If it was at, obviously, Brentford Community Stadium, then they can do whatever they want to the pitch. The atmosphere will be pretty good. All those kind of things will be going against Arsenal, whereas at the Emirates, the atmosphere this season has been fantastic. Arsenal will be able to sort of mould the terrain however they want. So all those little things that went against Arsenal at the weekend will then be in their favour. And I I don't think it'll be as much of an issue. But listen, we'll speak next week when Arsenal have inevitably lost that game and I've tipped them to win. So we'll see.
0: (laughs) Yeah, think at least we have more to talk about when they lose. Jorginho, Kaya, he was a bit unfortunate, I think, that he came on almost seconds before Everton took the lead. It kind of changed the dynamic of the whole afternoon, especially what was expected of him. But it was rather underwhelming, to, to say the least, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I was a little surprised by that substitution, I have to admit. Um, I wonder if maybe Thomas Partey's injury uh, the week before at Man City played a part in it, and if he had if he had a full 90 minutes in him. We obviously don't know the specifics of that. But you bring Jorginho on when you're in need of incisive passes to break down Everton Everson from deep. I'm not 100% sure he's that guy all the time. I think he can be a little bit safe in his passing, which I think is great when you're coming on at 1-0 up to try and win a game. But the second you go 1-0 down, then you would rather have Thomas Partey on the pitch than Jorginho, I think. And his passing was, I think it was around 80%, which is fine. I didn't think... He was particularly bad. And I think focusing on him as a reason Arsenal didn't win the game would be a bit harsh. And I think maybe that would be focusing on him purely because he's the new signing and he came from Chelsea. But Arsenal fans were singing his name in the away end. I heard that when he came on. I think, you know, I think it's a smart signing. I don't think Everton away when you're 1-0 down is the kind of game you want to use Jorginho in. And in fairness, when he was brought on, it was obviously 0-0, nil, nil, like you say. I think there'll be times later in the season... Maybe looking forward to the Man City game at home. If if Arsenal get themselves into a good position and there's 15, 20 minutes left, bring on Jorginho. He's the perfect player for that. And I think there'll be times when it's more of a Jorginho game than it was on Saturday. And yeah, I just it wasn't the best of debuts, but I don't think it was the worst either. I think he's a a smart signing. I was a little bit hesitant at first when I saw his name pop up because I thought, why are Arsenal going for another old Chelsea player? But on an 18 month deal for not too much money, it's from, as far as I'm concerned, it's a a relatively smart bit of business and Mikel Arteta obviously loves the player. So, yeah, I think it makes sense. It's just unfortunate that sort of Arsenal conceded seconds after he came on at the weekend.
0: Sam, it's not, this isn't my question. It's. it's, I saw a tweet and I wish I'd I'd written down who wrote it, but I wanted to put this to you. I saw a suggestion that now he's got players like Trossard and Jorginho on the bench that Arteta almost felt the need to bring on subs on Saturday, whereas in the past, if you'd have had a bench there without those players on, you might have seen Martinelli, for example, play the whole 90 minutes and, and potentially make a difference. Do, do you go along with that? Do you, have, do you have these players on the bench that you think, I've got to bring them on or I should bring them on? Or did he, did he think he was going to change the game, really, with bringing on, on those two players?
1: Um, well, I, I think he would only have brought them on if he thought it was going to improve his team's performance. We saw Marquinhos, for example, on the bench for pretty much every single Premier League game in the first half of the season. And he came on for one of them. So it's not like he feels the need to make subs for subs' sake. Um, I, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty confident he, he sees Trossard and Jorginho as, as players who can change the dynamic of his of his team and, and add to what they're trying to do. More so than, obviously, Cozio Dubri or Marquinhos or Matt Smith, for example, who have been on the bench quite a few times this season. So it's... That almost feels like complaining about squad depth, which seems like an interesting, uh, <laughs> interesting angle to take. Given how Arsenal have effectively had zero squad depth, but then again, Arsenal are top, so you know what—if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But then again, uh, if it ain't broke, that might be because it's, it's about to break and the legs are all about to run out. Um, so,
0: well, it was definitely yeah. broke. It was definitely broken to a degree on Saturday, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, maybe it was just trying to fix it on Saturday, given that performance.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean simply put you, you cannot expect 11 players to, or you know, more realistically 12 or 13 players to play every single game every single week and every single minute you just can't especially when the Europa League comes back and Arsenal will need squad depth my concern them is they've still not got enough despite and Jorginho and Kibbe all coming in they are going to need to be able to rotate and have options and there are going to be injury reasons and there are going to be suspensions so the more that he can bed these players in and get them used to playing in the system, the better. So yes, I'm sure he is keen to get them on and to try them out and to rest some legs up. Whether that affects the immediate flow of the team, perhaps it would a bit, but in the long term, the next few weeks, that's absolutely going to help Arsenal.
2: Just also on the subs, I think a criticism of Arteta has always been that he leaves it too late to bring players on. He gives them 10, 15 minutes, which obviously isn't enough. And on Saturday, he, he went quite early with the subs, which I thought was a good statement of intent. And, Obviously, with the scores at nil-nil, it felt like, okay, he's he's trying to do something to win this game. He's not happy with getting out of there with a nil-nil. He's he's trying to make an impact to win the game. So I thought there were positive substitutions when they came on. It just worked out really, unfortunately, that the set-piece goal came seconds later and then the whole setup of the game changed where Everton were able to just sit deep and defend for the rest of the match, which is obviously everything that they had prepared for and everything that Arsenal didn't want. And the spaces that a player like Trossard would have been able to exploit, or maybe Jorginho... They weren't there. They just disappeared. The second Everton went 1-0 up. So it was it was unlucky, I think. And I don't think we can start criticising Arteta for doing something when we've been criticising him for doing the opposite for most of his time in charge.
0: That's exactly what we can do, Kai. As people that love football, that's exactly what we <laughs> should be doing. We're, we're just as fickle as anyone else. Um, this weekend, we, we'll obviously have a pod later in the week looking ahead to Brentford. But just quickly, Sam, they, Arsenal play again before City this weekend. Which way round would you prefer it if you were if you were a manager and you had basically what is a two horse title race? Would you want to play first or second? And we're probably going to see a switch coming soon anyway because with the Europa League returning means Arsenal Sundays will be a will become a thing again, won't they?
1: Mm. Yes, that's that's looming in the near future for Arsenal. And it'll be interesting to see how much that takes out of them because he won't be able to play the same team that he played in the group stages. Um, the level of competition is going up quite quickly and quite drastically. And it's going to need to be strong teams on Thursday nights. Unless, of course, they sack it all off and just focus on the league, which, you know, that's a, that's one option for sure. Uh, in answer to your question, I think the best way, and I think Arsenal have proven this this season, is to play after City, but only if City have lost. So there are a couple of times that like when City played Brentford, for example, and lost. Arsenal then played afterwards and they knew the City had lost so they could extend their lead. What I think is a bad way is playing after City when City have won, because then the pressure's really on, and you can almost feel City breathing down their necks. Um, so, basically, you want to play before them, I the record. To beat, beat Brentford, and then crack on from there, would be my reading of it. Kaya, what do you think?
2: I always think it's better to have points on the board. Just play first, get the win, and then leave City to do whatever they're they're going to do. But... I, I I don't think it, it makes too much of a difference to be honest. I think, you know, there'll be times when it's it goes in their favour and times when it doesn't. And those are the kind of things you always analyse after the fact. But I I think, you know, uh without sounding too Mikel Arteta about it, they'll they'll play them when they play them. And I think that's just gonna that's just gonna be the way it goes until the end of the season.
0: That's very, very Mikel Arteta. I think it's that thing as well, isn't it? That, you know, City would have would would have known this weekend Arsenal played first. If Arsenal win the pressure's on to go Keep up with them at Spurs if they lose the pressures on because it's a chance to go to Spurs and close the gap. So when you're in a title race, I think there's pressure on you either way, isn't there? And uh, talking of pressure, we are now going to, to play Guess the guna. So I'm going to hand the reins over to one Sam Dean to ask the questions. As most of you who listened last week will have learnt, we've tweaked the rules slightly this season. And uh, both Car and I will get a chance to guess after each clue has been given. Uh, Sam is the quiz master today so guest Aguna will see him give us clues and hints to a former Arsenal player and it will be up to me and Kaya to identify them hopefully we won't keep you for 20 minutes or so like uh, <laughs> like Charlie and Sam managed last week before managing to get David Platt although Kaya did message me privately to say he beat you to that guy, so um, mm. I'm, not looking, I'm not looking forward to the challenge So I'll start by flipping a coin to see who goes first
1: uh, Kaya, heads or tails?
2: Heads please
1: it's heads Kaya you get the first guess and then Mark get the second, first guess and the second clue etc. so let's play Guess the Guna. I have represented 12 different English clubs you can mm-hmm. skip a guess if you want Kaya that's fair enough if you do
2: skip
0: 12
1: 12 different English clubs I have played in the top three tiers of English football.
0: David Platt. Incorrect.
2: (laughs) Uh, Skip again for me.
0: Oliver Skip.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have twice won the community shield.
2: Huh. Um I'm that sort of pushing me towards the, the late Lenger FA Cup successes, which is making me think. Um, players who have played in multiple leagues, 12 clubs. I'm still not sure I'm, I'm going to skip again.
1: You are uh, you don't get punished for making any wrong guesses anymore. That used to be the way we'd, we stopped that. So you can just throw a name out if you want. Mark, anything for you? No, I, I, I'll, I'll,
0: uh, I'll pass again, please.
1: I made 24 appearances on my national side's under-21s, but never won a senior cap? Uh No.
0: It's, it's me first, but I still don't sorry, know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> 24 under-21 caps? Oh, he must be British to have played in the, you'd imagine, to have played in those leagues. A lot of caps. A lot of junior level caps. I also think maybe English to have got that many junior caps and then not been able to progress into the national team. But I still don't. I'm just giving Kai clues because I still don't know. So I'm <laughs> going to. I'm going to. But again, I'm going to pass there. But I've set us up nicely. I think.
2: I'm trying to think, and I'm still not sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna skip again. That it's what's what's really throwing me is the 12 different clubs. Yeah, that's what's throwing me at the minute.
1: Uh, in 231 Premier League appearances, I scored 14 goals.
0: That's not amazing, is it?
2: Defender. Gotta be in it. Uh... I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw a random guess, and I'm pretty sure it's wrong. Um, Nigel Winterburn.
1: Incorrect. Yeah. How many
0: appearances did he make? Sorry. Two hundred and
1: thirty-one Premier League appearances.
0: Just for Arsenal, the Premier League appearances. Or is that across? Oh, can you not tell me that? Two
1: hundred and thirty-one total Premier League appearances in his career. <laughs>
0: oh. Um... he must have been around. he's been around for a while then
1: should uh... we move on
0: yeah please move on
1: I joined Arsenal at the age of 15
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so academy ish product unless it's Martin Odegaard who was playing senior football wow. when he was about 8 wasn't he Um David Bentley? No, he hasn't play that enough games, has he?
1: Incorrect.
2: Um, uh, I'm going to guess... Justin Hoyt. Incorrect. Okay.
1: I have played in a Champions League final.
0: Oh. Now the listeners are thinking, oh, oh, whose guess is is it Kai first? I
2: think so.
0: Oh, I this, think is, I, this is I think I've got it. I think Ryan. I've got it.
2: Now I'm terrified. I have to. I have to come up with a name. The pressure um, is on. The pressure is on. Okay, Champions League final. Twelve teams. I guess. The, mm.
0: Yeah, guess the Guna. Yeah, that's
2: the, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of the quiz. Ah, uh, man. Uh, I'm going. I really the, hope you
3: uh,
1: haven't got it, Mark, because there's some cracking clues to come to.
2: It. <laughs> I'm going through the 2016. Um, it might not be the 2016. It might be another one. It might be another Champions League final. Sorry, I'm, I'm just. This is a stream of consciousness to buy myself a bit more time. Okay, you know what, I'm going to push
1: you for my, an here,
2: My head is firmly in my hands. Um, skip. I don't know. I don't know. Mark, do
0: the power you dance. I think it is Jermaine Pennant. Correct.
1: Yes. Wow. Very well played. Very well played. I, I, I feared that I'd dropped
0: the Champions League final clue in too early. The 15-year-old? I was kind of the 15-years thing, because that's quite mm. memorable, isn't it? Was it Notts County you joined from?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I read
2: very recently one of those, you know, I can't remember the name of the account, but they do quite funny Twitter threads about weird, uh, I think it was the upshot maybe they're called, and I read the yeah. thread about Jermaine Pennant and now I'm just kicking myself because I remember 15-year-olds, i from the county. Oh, there's no excuses. I've let myself down. Do you want to hear the remaining facts? Certainly do.
1: This is this is a great one. All of my goals for Arsenal came in one game. Hat-trick against Southampton. I think Kyle might have got it at that point. Um, the most and here's this one would have really thrown if we got this far then it would have been game over for you boys. The <laughs> most prolific year of my club career was 2016. Who was he playing for then? Tampines Rovers. In India. In Singapore, sorry. Yeah. He scored five goals that season. That's the most he got in any season in his whole professional career. <laughs> he scored <laughs> um, prolific. Arsenal debut November nineteen ninety-nine. Signed by Arsenal for two million pounds. Arsenal debut at the age of 16. Played 25 games in La Liga. We'll see if the rails are. Two yeah, million
2: yeah. pounds at 15 back then. That's a lot of money. Big deal. Champions uh, League winner up with
1: Liverpool, yeah? Correct. Yeah. He's been on the Jeremy Carl show. <laughs>
0: he's, he's... We, all, we all are who hasn't been on the Jeremy Carl show? <laughs> his dog once killed his girlfriend's cat. Oh, that's
1: that's. You, boring, read, that. you read this
2: thread, is this is this where this is all coming from? The thread did
1: inspire me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he was jailed for three months for drink driving while banned, and when initially questioned, gave the name Ashley Cole, which is which is not <laughs> not not great behaviour. I think we could all of it. I think even Jermaine would admit that's not great behaviour. Uh, he was the first football player to play in the Premier League while wearing an electronic tag, and the title was autobiography written with friend of the pod John Cross is Mental, Bad Behaviour, Ugly Truths and The Beautiful Game. What a life, what a career,
0: what a story and what a performance from Mark Manbryans. Fantastic work. Wow, there we go. That was, as ever, plenty of fun. We will be back (laughs) later in the week to preview that visit of Brentford. And also this month, our second special of the season will drop, Get With The Programme, presented by Max Jones. We'll look at the history, future and curiosities of the Arsenal Match Day programme. So you won't want to miss that. But for the next few days, at least, stay safe, everyone.